today on Ag News Daily. This is about 2006 or 2007. I, uh, I had dropped out of college and I didn't really know what I wanted to do so I just decided to I decided to go help my uncle Van and I started farming with him full-time. Good afternoon ladies and gentlemen happy Wednesday here on the News Daily Podcast. Delaney Hall you're joined by Mike Pearson and Ashton Carr. Ashton how are things going? It sounds like you guys are getting a little rain which is uh, much needed for those cotton farmers down there. Yes, and we will talk more about that in today's interview, but I was so happy this morning. I woke up and it was raining, and so I have started my day off pretty good. Well, that is fantastic. It's good to have something to look forward to. I know we had uh, kind of a little freak thunderstorm roll through central Iowa last night, and I'm sure Mm -hmm. folks were excited about the rain up. Laney, what are you working on today? Um, I have just a quick announcement for you all today. Are you ready? It's really important stuff. What if we said no? We're not. <laughs> I think I would. No, I, I have to tell you today. It's pertinent oh, okay. today. Well, in it out, anyhow. It is National Hot Dog Day. So, what did you do for lunch? I haven't had lunch yet, but I was. My dad texted me this morning and said, Hey, FYI, it's National Hot Dog Day in case you want to celebrate. And I thought about it and I said, You know, I have hot dogs in my fridge, so I'll probably have a hot dog tonight for dinner. Fantastic. I got to say, hot dogs are a great way to fully utilize the whole hog outside the box. Get things Mm -hmm. done. Well, that is excellent. Do we have any news that ties in with hot dogs? I don't have necessarily hot dog related news, but I do have beef related news because we're continuing to watch what is going on. What is going on with the USDA and their investigation of the cattle markets, specifically their probe that they have been doing here, really culminated by the Holcomb, Kansas uh, Tyson fire. And so a report on this USDA investigation is supposed to be due soon. And there will be findings that lawmakers may want to consider acting on. That was the word from Greg Ibach, USDA's Undersecretary for Marketing and Regulatory Reforms at a House Agriculture Subcommittee hearing on Tuesday. However, he didn't really give any clues as to what those findings might be and said that there could be several things that come out of this report that members of the committee would like to see further investigated, and as well as the industry will very likely want things further investigated. So there may may be some further action required after this report comes out. He was also probed a little bit on a timeline releasing this report. Really, all he said was, due out soon. Okay. All right. Well, that's an intriguing way to lead into it, the idea that there is more for regulators to look into. I mean, that certainly implies that shenanigans are afoot. That is very true. Very true. Good to be between the lines there. Yeah. Okay. Well, keep an eye on that one. I, it'll be interesting to see what they do for the research from this one, because as you mentioned, this is the investigation dating back to the cattle price caps after the Holcomb fire. And now, of course, we also have the parallel investigation going on with the crisis of cattle price after COVID hit. So I wonder how much What we learned from this one, we could apply to this Mm -hmm. year. It'll be interesting to see. Yeah, very good point. Well, I've got some news. It's not great news. It is 
production. EIA announced the uh, weekly ethanol production data, and for the first time in 11 weeks, ethanol production declined. Not a substantial amount. Um, from it was down 2.3 million barrels, so it ended the week at 90.13 million barrels. I mean, not a 3% uh, reduction. However, the fact that this is the first reduction we've seen in 11 weeks amidst this COVID resurgence, oh, the million-dollar question is, are we changing the overall production outlook for ethanol? Are we going to have to ratchet it back down as folks stay at home? Or could this week just be a blip? And I think the case is to be made arguments on either side of that statement on the this is a sentiment change or a, a true change in direction. Coronavirus, you have states shutting things back down. Application being folks are going to drive less. However, we also saw ethanol stocks, which is the amount of ethanol we have in storage around the country, drop to their lowest level since December of 2016. Stockpiles were down 3.9% from last week, and they're down 16.5% from this period last year. So even though we produced less, we were still using quite a bit. Rather than using freshly produced ethanol, however, we were drawing down the stocks we have around the country, which eventually we're going to need to refill. So maybe we can see this thing turn around. At the end of the day, it's just more news we're going to have to keep an eye on, but it didn't seem to have a huge impact on corn pricing today. So I think that was a positive news. We did not also, or we did also see some other potential market movers as we continue to see China come to the buying table. We saw Monday, Tuesday, and now Wednesday. Today, the USDA has released some pretty big export numbers for soybeans headed to China. On Wednesday, they released a sale of 715,000 metric tons of U.S. soybeans, 649,000 of which are to be scheduled for the next marketing year, which, of course, begins September 1st. We, of course, then saw, you know, purchases on Tuesday of about 126,000 tons and Monday for about the same. So we are absolutely seeing China come to the buying table. The other thing to note here is that as you look at a chart, you look at where the PNW prices are sitting compared to Brazil we, and even Argentina. We're still f- much more favorable when it comes to those prices on the FOB. Yeah. And one of the key components of that, I've got two things I want to mention, Delaney, building off your story, is the reason, part of the reason we're so competitive is the drop in the U.S. dollar. We've seen the dollar index today testing support back at the low we set in the early part of March. March 9th, I believe, was the uh, the dollar index low. <coughs> Excuse me. Dropped all the way down to 94.89. Today, we traded it. 94.89, but uh, we've since come back a little bit, and right now we're trading just over 95. So the cheaper U.S. dollar definitely helps keep us competitive. And in addition to these, or I guess hidden or tucked into these sales to China, we had the bulk of these purchases again today for new crop soybeans. So again, we're looking post-November delivery. However, there were 66,000 metric tons of old crop that China bought, which is indicative of the fact that China must must need beans pretty soon if they're willing to, uh, to step in and buy some old crop beans. And now, of course, we'll actually see if they take delivery because, Delaney, we are backfighting with the Chinese. Mm. 
rhetoric is picking up. Earlier today, it was announced by Secretary of State Mike Pompeo that China must close their consulate in Houston. Um, that has been ordered, and uh, by all indications, uh, China is following through. They are going to go ahead and close their consulate. However, they said this was an unexpected and undeserved provocation, and there will be retaliation. We don't know what that's going to look like as of yet, but uh, you know, to the extent that they can afford to put off purchases of American commodities, I would imagine that's something they're going to take a look at. I would imagine you're right. Mm-hmm. Well, Ashton, what other headlines are you keeping an eye on today? Well, I have a little bit of exciting news, I guess, uh, coming from Burger King. So last week we saw them come out with their cows menu um, campaign and Burger King officials contacted Dr. Frank Mithliner, which we talked to him last week about this. After seeing his response to the company's commercial, saying that they were surprised by his reaction to their campaign. And Mittliner was quoted as saying, I educated them on the facts and they made several changes. They took content out that was demeaning to farmers and they pulled the content from all TV stations. So to me, that is very positive and is indicative that they get it, that the mistake was made and that it needs to be corrected. And Burger King also asked Mittliner to work with them moving forward and they are going to work with him on infusing more science-based research and on the one hand and get communication out and check before it reaches the masses. So I'm applauding Burger King on taking those steps going forward. Yeah, I saw that piece of news this morning, thought it was definitely a positive step. Hopefully they're going to look more at the science before they go ahead and make some big marketing decisions. But I do hope that that uh, little kid who did the ad, I hope he cashed his check. (laughs) Yeah, poor Mason. You know, he's going to have to pay for college or something eventually. Hopefully he's uh, able to get something uh, taken care of there. No kidding. Mm-hmm. He's only like 10, so I'm sure he'll be fine. Oh, yeah. But, you know, you get 15 minutes. You got to grab it with both that's, hands. That's true. Very true. Well, I've got just one other piece of news. And I think this is something we'll have to keep an eye on throughout the year. But it could have impacts for soybean pricing in the U.S. Uh, This is coming out of Southeast Asia, and it relates to palm oil. Output in Indonesia and Malaysia of palm oil is expected to drop in 2020 uh, between last year's dry weather and apparently they had lower fertilizer application. And this year's labor shortage, they're just not able to get all of the oil uh, processed and produced that they were expecting they would. What is palm oil a substitute for, or what is a substitute for palm oil? Bean oil. So if Southeast Asia can't meet their own demand and the demand of their export customers for palm oil, and the dollar continues to stay weak, all of a sudden, American soy oil gets very competitive. So this could be something, uh, another tailwind at the back of soybeans going forward. It certainly could. There's a lot of things, I guess, on that could cause tailwinds for really any of the, any of the grain commodities. Yeah, and it's just a matter of actually uh, getting the story around commodities to change and get some folks uh, excited about it. And by folks, Mm -hmm. I mean people with money. Right, or uh, people that are trading the markets. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, what other stories are you keeping an eye on, Delaney? I, you know what, I think I'm all out of news, Ashton. What about you? I am too. I'm ready to hop into the markets. 
Well, let's do it, folks. Taking a look at the markets today, we've got corn, beans, and wheat all in the green. September corn up four and three quarter cents at three twenty-seven and a half. December contract up three and three quarters to close at three thirty-four and a half. Over in soybeans, the August contract was up two and three quarters, closed at eight ninety-nine and a quarter. November up two and a quarter to finish at eight ninety-five and a quarter. In Chicago wheat, September contract climbed six and three quarter cents at five thirty-four and a half. December up six cents, finishing the day at five thirty-nine and three quarters. Over in livestock, live cattle did come under some pressure today. The August contract down 35 cents at 101.50. October down 40 cents, closed at 105.72 and a half. In the feeder cattle market, August up 20 cents on the day to close at 41, excuse me, 141.52 and a half. September September up 30, closed at 143.2750. And in lean hogs, the August contract up another dollar, traded higher by a dollar seventeen and a half today at 52.65. October up a nickel, closed at 50.07 and a half. Looking over at the dairy markets in class three milk today, the July was unchanged at 24.32, while the August was down 47 cents at 22.83. And we are talking a crop we don't typically talk pricing on, but it definitely saw a down day. In today's interview, we're talking cotton. So to lead into it, let's take a look at the cotton markets. October dropped 26 cents at 62.65. December down 34 at 62.61. With that, let's kick it over to today's interview. Hey guys, when I'm not hosting Ag News Daily, I'm helping out with the Iowa Farm Bureau's Spokesman Speaks podcast. If you're from Iowa, you're probably familiar with the Spokesman newspaper. It has the largest readership of any ag newspaper in the state. The Spokesman Speaks podcast is an extension of that newspaper, reaching farmers and ag professionals like you on the go with the stories that matter most. This week's episode is all about livestock farm security. Unfortunately, we're all familiar with stories about livestock farms that have been targeted by people and groups with bad intentions. So how can you reduce the risk of having you and your farm targeted? We ask an ag attorney that very question in this episode of The Spokesman Speaks. You can find and subscribe to this podcast in your favorite podcast app or go to iowafarmbureau.com slash podcast. Today on the podcast, we have Sky Stevenson, who is a farmer out here in the panhandle of Texas, got a little bit of land in and around the Lubbock area. Sky, thank you so much for coming on the podcast to talk to us today. Yep, thanks for having me. So I, I guess I'll just start off with um, asking you to, to, to tell us a little bit more about yourself, about your, your background in agriculture. Well, um, I grew up on the farm down there north of Lubbock in a town called New Deal. My dad farmed until I was I was in junior high, and he got out and had a little trucking company, so he started trucking. So I, my mom's side of the family, oh, they all farm, all of her brothers. She's got three brothers. So I started working for my granddad a little bit, and then I started working for another one of my uncles. I guess it was about 2006 or 2007, Eleven, twelve, and just picking up a little land as we go, and that's kind of how I got started. I just, uh, I don't see me doing anything else, you know. Just kind of, you got a lot you do, and 
sometimes being out here, it's pretty hard. And <laughs> no, you can't see me because we're uh, doing a podcast, but I'm just smiling ear to ear hearing your story. That's really neat. And sounds like you've definitely found your niche. Tell us a little bit more about your operation. I assume you're growing cotton, but is that the only thing that you're farming? Well, primarily that's what we try to plant. Try to plant it all in cotton. But we we grow a lot of wheat. And uh, a lot of the wheat that we grow, we call it a cover crop. But if we get the right rains in the in the winter or early spring, we can make it to harvest. Um, this year, I actually have milo. We cut a little bit of wheat. It didn't make very much. And uh, I have cotton. But, yeah, I mean, I've, I've grown corn. We've, uh, well, I guess that's it, corn, wheat, cotton. But we're, we're the water so fast. We really, cotton's our go-to. This is kind of cotton country, and it always has been. It's primarily what we do. And like I said, we, we do plant some wheat from time to time, but a lot of it's just cover crop. And we got such a sandy soil, high winds around here. Man, you just, you, you got to take care of the land. And we, we use a, we do a lot of no-till operation. And in no-till, you've got to have some trash out there. Trash can be anything. It can be cotton stalks. It can be milo stalks. It can be wheat. Just something to hold the dirt down. And uh, when the sand gets cranked up out here, it'll blow for a long time. And it's hard to get it under control a lot of the times. But yeah, primarily yeah. we just, we try to grow cotton. And I think you uh, mentioned something there I want to ask you a little bit more about, Sky. You mentioned water rates and water issues. I'm up here in Iowa where we are abundant with water and have irrigators all over and don't really suffer from the same issues that you guys do with uh, wind and some dust storms and also water issues. Do you guys face water rights issues down there in your part of the panhandle? Not yet. We don't. Hmm. We just, you know... Go ahead. I was just going to say, is that something you anticipate will be an issue for you guys in the near future? Well, a lot of these new wells and, and uh, new new uh, drip systems and pivot systems that are requiring you to put meters on them, I don't know if they'll ever limit your use. I, I really don't. But uh, I don't know. I think that's I think that's for in the future. I really do. In a place like where we live, it's it's a lot desert-like. So if we can't water, just like this year, it's been a big drought. It's been horrible. And uh, if you can't water, there won't be nothing out here. It'll just be a dead gun desert this year. I mean, it's like this year. So, no, we're not facing any of that yet. You make a good point, Sky, about how this drought just is is really really hurting us out here. And so, with that being said, what is your crop looking like for for this year? What are you expecting come harvest time? Well, it's too soon to tell. <laughs> really, <laughs> um, I've still got a lot of cotton. Um, I've got a, I've still got a lot of dry land, and it it's some of it's given up pretty fast. But where all my irrigation systems are, my cotton looks really good. And that's the one good thing about this country. Cotton likes it hot, and it gets hot here. And when you do put a little water, a little further, and a lot of heat, and you can make a lot of cotton. So I, uh, as a whole, I'm actually pretty happy with it. My milo looks pretty good. Uh, a lot of it's dry land where we failed out our cotton. We always try to go back and, and plant something else. And that way the ground's not just sitting. You know, we call that a rotation, and I'm sure I'll do two up in Iowa. But uh, 
it, overall, it, it's it's okay. We need some rain. You know, I think we got another good chance. I'm standing in my driveway right now. It looks like it's build up a little bit. We're hoping this pattern changes. Once it starts raining here, it seems like it'll continue to rain. But when you don't get rain for several months, it's just a hard pattern break. But as of right now, I'm a hat camper. So we are going to need some more rain. Sky, tell me a little bit about market system for selling cotton. I mean, we talk about futures prices, but it's always hard for me to put that in reality when I think about how you're actually selling the cotton around here. We're selling to cooperatives or um, elevators, you know, maybe an ADM or a Cargill. What are you doing to market your cotton? Well, a few years ago, I, I did. I used to have all my cotton on the open market, and we would just go in with the gym secretary and we'd get bids, you know, in Cargill. All them companies would bid on your cotton. But it it's very overwhelming because I'm trying to harvest a crop and I'm trying to sell a crop and I'm looking at the markets. So what I did a couple of years ago, I put all of my cotton in a pool. And what a pool does is they just, you, there's lots of farmers in pools, lots of farmers on the open market. And uh, I just, I put it all in the pool. So the day I get ready to sell it, Man, we just pull the trigger on it and you don't get any bids. It, it is what it is. But what they do in pool is they gather up all the cotton and throughout the year, they send you what you call a progress payment. So if the market that day, and it all depends on the, it all depends on the quality of your cotton as well. And cotton can be 65 cents, but if it's already cotton, they might not even offer you 50 cents. It's all, you got staple and mic and color and oh, there's a million things that, that, a million things they grade you on in cotton. And that's what it is all about grades. Um, I put all mine in the pools to make it a whole lot easier. Uh, that way I don't have to really market it. It's already marketed. The pool buys it and then they market it all year and sell it to who knows where. But the pool that I got in is it's called the Procot. And they, there's lots of pools, PCCA, Liberty. Uh, I, I couldn't even tell you how many there are. But I just I try to get in the pool that pays the best throughout the year. So throughout the year, on a good year, you'll get a couple other checks. You know, you'll get one in, well, I get with March, and then you'll get another one in June. And then if things went real good and, you know, they're still selling cotton, you know, for higher than they bought it, you'll get another one, you know, late in the summer. So that, that's kind of what I do. But everybody's different. Well, Sky, we here at Ag News Daily certainly hope that come harvest time and time to, to market your cotton, that things do go well in your favor. But uh, we just want to thank you for coming on the podcast today and sharing this information with us. You bet. Well, again, a big thank you there to Sky. I love talking to people from especially the Texas Panhandle area with that accent, his passion, it all just gives me the goosebumps. Well, that's fantastic. I'm sorry I missed the interview. It's uh, it's good good to hear about crops we don't talk about all that often here on the podcast and cotton is one of them. Listeners, if you are a cotton producer and you want us to you want to see us incorporate that into our Market Monday segment into our commodity reads, let us know. We know we've got a lot of listeners in the corn belt, so we want to make sure we cover those crops, but if we're missing cotton and you want to hear it, reach out to us. Find us on social media, just search for Ag News Daily on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram or drop us a note on the website. You can find us at agnewsdaily.com. With that, Ashton, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.